2: Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions.
3: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
2: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore.
3: It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
2: We hope you enjoy the show.
4: Hi,
3: thank you so much for downloading our podcast The Honey and Coke My name is Ita Sulevich Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitrovia And a couple of cookbooks Ever since we opened our restaurant We've been meeting so many incredible people Who are cooking, who are making food Who are writing about food And we just want to have a little bit more time with them We invite our favourite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice, and we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books or from their culture, and this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it.
2: Today is a bit of a change for us. We're going to have a very quiet conversation because we already had our lunch. So we had our lunch uh, with Nick Sharma, who's our guest today with his book season, and we cooked some food. We had quite a lot of people come and eat it, and we've had a really nice time. And now, we're sneaking to a nice little quiet office, and we're going to have a bit of a conversation about the book without the guests, so that we can um, hear what Nick has to tell us. So, welcome, Nick. It's nice to Hi, have you. Hi. Thank
3: you for having me today.
2: So, Nick, you've just published this book, Season in America, right? And now you've come here to do a bit of publicity for right. it, yes? But also, the writing in America. This is your first cookbook.
3: That is true. This is my first solo cookbook.
2: How how did it happen?
3: How did it happen? Oh my gosh. It started about two and a half years ago, three years ago. Um, I was at a conference. um, I was nominated for an award for my blog and an agent reached out to me and said, hey, um, are you interested in writing a cookbook? And I said, no,
2: (laughs) not really. (laughs) Uh,
3: It sounds like a lot of work. And she said, "Um, think about it. I think you have something to tell people. And so I said, okay, let me just, like, get through this trip, and then when I come back, let's talk. So we talked quite a bit. I still wasn't really sure if I had anything unique to tell people. Um, I didn't want to write a book just for the heck of writing a book. I wanted to tell something that I felt had to be told more than anything, uh, Mm -hmm. contribute something new to the conversation. And so we went back and forth quite a bit, and then she, I always joke that she finally convinced me to write a book. Uh, So we worked on a proposal and then um, chopped it around. Went into auction and I landed up at Chronicle Books. um, And then season came out in October.
2: But, I mean, why would you think you didn't have anything to contribute? Because in a way, you have everything to contribute. Because, (laughs) well, it's true, there are so few versatile voices in food. I think what we get a lot and, you know, it's... People writing about food or appropriating food or stuff like that. But actually, you you do come from India. Yeah, I do. And your food is not Indian, but it does have those influences. Right. So what... Kind of when you started writing the blog and everything Mm -hmm. like that, was that important to
0: you?
3: The blog... um, So I had no purpose when I started out the blog. I was in a different career field. I was a scientist before this. Um, And so when I started the blog, the blog was a way for me to be creative because I was so entrenched in academia. And the blog kind of became that creative outlet. I could talk about what I wanted to talk about. Another thing that I noticed, so I live in America, and one of the things I noticed that the concept of Indian food was very much driven as to what North Indian food is, and that represented Indian food. So when I moved to America, I missed the food that I grew up with. I was unable to find those flavors or those dishes in restaurants, and I couldn't understand why. Then I read the history, and it turned out it was because the first restaurants in the West were based on North Indian cuisine. That's what the British loved, and that kind of made its way mainstream. Um, And then when I lived in America, I couldn't find that food. So that's how the blog became. But the blog also, not only was it a creative outlet, not only a way for me to express uh, or share food that I had grown up in India, but I was also cooking different. I was cooking the way a person comes and adapts and acclimates to a different land yeah. right and so I wasn't fusing I really don't like to see even I'm fusing food I was cooking with what was available what I knew and so I was trying to connect my past present and future through food yeah um and so that's what I was doing so I started out with a blog yeah right and, and it so, was
2: hugely successful the blog.
3: yeah eventually <laughs> well, that's really, nothing happens overnight. <laughs> right it's okay
2: for it to, um, you know.
3: And so when I was writing the blog, I saw that a lot of my colleagues and my peers were writing cookbooks. And I thought, oh, maybe that's like the next step for me to do. So I reached out to an agent that I had read on a blog. And uh, the agent said, oh, if you are, people are interested in writing cookbooks can reach out to me. And so I did. And the agent, uh, I sent her, uh, she said, send me samples of your work. And I did. And then she told me that, I was saying it's a she already. uh, (laughs) She said, I don't think you have anything to contribute you don't deserve a book. I, okay. Your voice doesn't deserve a book. And so having come from a science background, you're used to taking criticism. So I said, OK, that's fine. So you just, fine. Took it you and just like, move on, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I thought she's probably right. And also just because you're doing something, it doesn't mean that you should write a book. That's yeah. also something that, you know, I had to realize. Um, so I never thought I needed to write a book. Um, and then I also realized along the way, as I read more cookbooks, a lot of the cookbooks are similar
2: Yes.
3: a lot, Especially if they come from a certain region. So like a lot of Indian cookbooks will do a lot of similar things. Um, And you know this, like a lot of Middle Eastern cookbooks will also do a certain set of things, right? Like hummus will be there, Indian cookbook curries are there. Um, And so I said, when I'm going to write a book, it has to be something different. So if someone is going to spend a dollar or a pound on a book, they should walk away with something new. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you can just go and get it elsewhere.
2: I think it's very clear from the book that you fuse your current day life in America with the flavors. I think that's part of what's so great about it because you move to a country and you oh your tastes always adapt a bit right. they? you start yeah. eating what's around. But then to kind of give those little nods to Spice and stuff like that. And if we go back a bit further and we go back to your background a bit. So Mm -hmm. you were born in India. I was in in which part? I was
3: born on the West Coast in a city called Bombay, which is not called Mumbai. Coastal city. It's a coastal city. A lot of coconuts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, I thought I was very unlucky because my parents came from two different parts of the country. Um, That's
2: the luckiest thing. Right. As an adult,
3: I say, oh, that was so, I was so fortunate. So my mom's family comes from a colony, a Portuguese colony. Uh, and she's Catholic. She's Catholic, yeah. uh, from a colony called Goa, which is on the West yeah. Coast. And so their food is obviously very seafood-driven, uh, very meat-oriented. Um, you'll get oysters, you'll get lobsters, you'll get fish, you'll get uh, meat, pork. They eat uh, chicken. Quite
2: different than what you kind of...
3: For you assume what Indian yeah. food is, right? Yeah. And then a lot of the food is so Western-influenced because of the Portuguese and also because of the British. Uh, they were. It was easy for them to adopt. Those flavors, and it's in. If you think about it, that's something that I've also done. Yeah. Similarly, on my course, and then my dad was from the north of India, from a Brahmin Hindu family, from a small town, and then he had moved to Bombay where he met my mom. So his food was very vegetarian, very dri- dairy driven.
2: Yes, quite, um, quite a at, different yeah. world. Yeah. And
3: so then, growing up in the household, we would have dishes that. Both were kind of, I guess, like, trying to seduce us into, into like, whose culture is better than the other kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You would have these things that you wouldn't normally see at other people's houses yeah. if I had gone. If you so could. I thought what we were doing was normal. Yes. And I think subconsciously, that or unconsciously, rather, there was no intent in that plan. But that helped to create the stage for me to, to
2: just, get involved. And you got involved in a kitchen from a young age. Was it okay for you to go into the kitchen as a kid? Yeah.
3: Um, my parents really didn't care. <laughs> uh, my mom hates to cook. Okay. <laughs> which is why I overcompensate probably and cook. And the other thing was because she hates to cook, she was cooking the same thing every time. Yeah. And I used to get so irritated. And I would complain and say, can you just cook something different? And she would say, you just like fancy things all the time. And I said, it's not about being fancy. It's just about it t- tasting different. And so she would always say that, yeah, it's like if you go to a restaurant, you would find... a." So there's this saying in Hindi... Um, the best way to put it in English is to say that if you have a dish, a simple dish like lentils, yeah. if you eat it at a restaurant, it's delicious. But if I cook chicken for you, which would be better at home, you would think that's the lentils. Okay. So it's kind of like where you eat the value that you associate. And so she always she always says that. But it was just about flavor. And I think, like, you could cook the simplest thing.
2: But do it well.
3: Yeah, change yeah. the flavor.
2: So then you decided you, you, you should make your life elsewhere, actually. So you... You knew you were gay. Yeah. And knew that in India, this would be an issue.
3: Right. Yes. Yeah? And so I wanted to move away because I knew at the time that it wasn't a place that I felt safe. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to get away. And I knew the West would be a place a for me. place. Yeah. yeah.
2: Do, you, do you sense that on your day to day that actually I will have a better life if I leave this kind of... Yeah. Yes.
3: Because my experience in high school was miserable. I went to an all-boys school. Yeah. And kids are cruel in general, yeah. especially at a young age. They're terrible.
2: Yeah,
3: um, the and worst. Time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I would Luckily, often we just grow get out bullied. Of it, no, yeah. yeah, I would get bullied a lot because they knew I was different. I also, get called names, which were always derogatory, derogatory towards being a homosexual. Yeah. And even though I was out, it made me very fearful. And then the stuff that you would read in the newspaper, you're in the news. It wasn't re- wasn't often talked about. When it was, it was either a life and death situation. Someone's getting killed, beaten up. Um, and I'd never heard anybody talk about it positively. Yeah. And the only role models—well, not role models, but the comparative—that the comparison that I had was from my parents, who were talk. The only two gay people they honestly knew were Elton John yeah. and George Michael. <laughs> oh, and Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Uh,
2: three. Three. Know, so. Three and they were all musicians, musicians yeah. right? On all three musicians.
3: So for even for the longest time, I thought being gay meant you would go into music. And <laughs> Just, I couldn't sing well, so I said, "Shoot. What am I going to write?"
2: So, so you decided to, to study really hard, no? This,
3: uh, I, uh, yeah, because I was so depressed in high school, I focused all my energy on education, and I, yeah. and I loved books. Um, and so I studied really hard, and I thought I would actually end up in medicine. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that. I ended up in science, more research-oriented field, but that was my outlet, and I knew that science was highly valued in the West, my parents were poor, so I knew that I could get a scholarship if I studied really hard, and then I wouldn't have to depend on anyone. Yeah. Because if I came out, what if they disowned me? Yeah. And so I would be independent, free, and do what, whatever I wanted. And so at the time, I had family in America, so I kind of knew a lot more about America than I did about Britain. Yeah, um, And so it just kind of felt natural for me to kind of look towards america as a place to move to
2: so you had to apply for, for university and I, then you correct. can go without a visa i'm not really sure how that uh works. okay
3: so i needed a visa a student visa and i took the standardized tests yeah. like twice actually so the first year i applied i didn't have enough years of experience in school because yeah. our education systems are different so i got one acceptance no scholarship so my dad said well we can't afford to send you so you can do it again. And that's your last shot. I said, shoot, I don't want to stay. What am I going to do? No backup plan. Um, and I said to myself, don't have a backup plan. The minute you have a backup plan, that means, you know, that you're giving yourself maybe like even a 50 percent chance of not.
2: Yeah. Going. You're giving the option. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: And so don't do that. So I said, OK, it's not an option. You're going and you're going what to make this What age were you when
2: you were doing all of this? Uh,
3: it's very determined. It's, it's... Yeah, I had to be. Yeah. Because <laughs> you want to get out. And that was like my thing. I was driven by the need to run away. Yeah. And I think I started at 17, the whole process.
2: So you got to America, mm-hmm. and then the food. What did you eat? It's quite different.
3: Yeah, so I lived in the Midwest. Yeah. I moved to the Midwest. I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the food was very different. I was also in a smaller city. I'd come from Bombay, which is such a popu- populated city. And then you come there, it's less populated. It's one of the
2: biggest cities in the world, isn't it? I think.
3: Probably the most pop- one of the most populated. Most Maybe most populated. Beijing might be number one. But yeah, so I'd moved to this place where... The ingredients were different. The people are different. Yeah. Uh, it's very uh, German and Greek. Uh, those are the predominantly large populations in Cincinnati. And then the food was different, obviously. Yeah. So it was exciting. I couldn't afford to travel. Yeah. Uh, and so restaurants kind of became my way to see the world. Yeah. Cookbooks were there before, and now restaurants had taken that place.
2: So you started eating kind of what, what yeah. was being sold there. When did you start missing kind of the spices and stuff like that?
3: I didn't. You didn't? I sorry. didn't. You just
2: like delete
3: it. Be- because every city that I lived in had a spice store. Yeah. Or an Indian store or a, a Persian store. And so I was able to go in there, buy ingredients that I wanted and walk away. Yeah. Um, and the advantage of being in school is that there are people like me who are coming from their countries who already knew these things. And so I would just ask him, hey, where do you go and buy your spices or ingredients? I would just go there.
2: So you didn't come and feel alone. You had people around you that could be a bit of a support in terms of...
3: Like a resource. Maybe po- yeah, pointing yeah. you in the right kind of direction. Yeah.
2: And then you came out to your parents.
3: Six months, yeah.
2: And they didn't disown you.
3: <laughs> it was or hard. Was it hard? It was difficult for my mom at first because she's Catholic and they're very rigid. Yeah. She also had a love marriage, so she thought I, w- I was being punished because of her. Doing, having a love It was very weird. But my dad was okay with it. And then kind of my, my mother came around fast because the rest of her family was fine with it. It's it was quite a
2: big weight to be lifted.
3: Uh, it was, yeah. I was so scared to do it. And I did it. I did the terrible thing. I did it by email.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, the I just <laughs> didn't want to deal with it. And I just
3: did, did it by email. And I think that was what irritated her more. Um, and I think the fact that she also found out last because she found out that everyone else knew already. Yeah. She likes to be in the loop. <laughs> um, but it, it, I was one of the fortunate kids that kind of had a, po- a decent, positive experience. Most of my friends in school were my, supportive, my support group. Yeah. And um, they were kind of like my family
1: away from me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at
3: airbnb.com slash host.
2: You started working in Mm -hmm. research. Yeah. And then at some stage you got an itch to do something else, yeah?
3: So one of the things that happened, a lot of my friends in grad school would ask me, oh, can you cook us Indian food? And I would cook Indian food, but I would try to cook things that they were not getting at restaurants to show them that there is like a whole different facet to this yeah. uh, or more than one facet. And that's how I kind of started to cook. And I was cooking anyway for myself, but it's different when you're entertaining people. You want to take it to the next step um, and impress them, basically. So they come and, you know, we'll be your friends. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Buy them with food. This Buy is, them what, them this is how you, I yeah. got a husband. <laughs> you know? I say that's the only way. <laughs> In the book, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information, which I love because it gives you a lot of kind of insight into the different spices or different ingredients Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Can you choose... I know it's kind of a weird question, but a few favorites. So a few of your favorite spices that you think can really make a huge difference or other ingredients. Something that people may be coming and approaching your food, but saying, well, I'm not going to buy everything. What should I
3: start And I would actually recommend people do not buy everything. (laughs) Do not go to a store and then feel like you need to buy everything. Start with one or two spices. Try them out in 10 different ways. Get comfortable and then move on. Start with green cardamom. Mm Mm-hmm do that uh, because it's such a beautiful spice it's got aroma um, and you can use it in savory and sweet dishes you can then probably
2: we had a bit of a fight about your recipes in the kitchen oh yeah yesterday when we started prepping because in our kitchen you use the whole pods You never ju- in cardamom. You, you can use, use a lot whole, of cardamom. You can
3: use the whole pods.
2: Uh, but in your recipes, you say Correct. Yeah. split and take them out. And we started arguing because we were doing like with the green cardamom, some of the recipes we were multiplying for today was like sure. 50 or 60. Yeah. And we were like, really? Are we going to do that? <laughs> and I was like, no, you can use the whole pod. And then they were like, but the recipe says. And we try and cook the recipe. You should exactly. just call me up. <laughs> well, we were debating it. We were like, how bad is it going to be? So you're okay with using the whole pod?
3: Yes, I think there's a place for it. If you're grinding something down. Cuz some so one of the things I've learned over the years when and also when the book I had my readers test the recipes in different parts of the world. Um what I noticed was that a lot of people don't like the whole pod and some people prefer also just buy the seeds directly. Yeah, you can. Directly. Buy, yeah. And so to avoid that That's lazy me, though. <laughs> yeah. That is. And it also loses its potency yeah. fast. I re- I would recommend just buying the pod. Uh, but just to make it user friendly, I counted. I prefer counting things yeah. so people know accurately. If a recipe involves grinding, like if you're making a marinade, put the whole damn thing in and you know pulse Nothing it. Nothing will happen. Yeah. yeah. If you're making a pilau, or a pilaf, heat the oil, crack the seeds, and put the with the pot in there. Some people like the texture, and if you don't like it, throw it out later. Yeah. And there are times I feel in desserts that you don't want the whole pot Okay. Um, people want the texture. So if you're making rice pudding, at least my experience, uh, some people don't like to chew on the pot.
2: Yeah. So you, don't, um, yeah. So you get rid of that.
3: Then. Yeah. Okay. Although it makes a beautiful garnish. I I like whole spices. I think it gives a chance to talk about something.
2: Yeah. Also, it gives... It stays fresher longer, doesn't it? It's yeah. part of the thing. Okay, so cardamom is a good one. One of my favorite. Another one?
3: Another one I would say is rose water. I mean, you know this. Middle East and India, we love our rose water. Yeah. In India, you go to restaurants and they don't do this. I don't know if they do this yet, but in America, they don't. After you finish a meal, they bring you a bowl of warm water with rose water and rose petals inside. And you wash the scent of the spices because yeah. you eat with, with your hands you the thing. and it goes off. With a little bit of um, a line.
2: They don't do it here yeah.
3: And that's here. such a beautiful tradition. But like here no
2: one would touch the food with their fingers because it's true. knife and like fork. fork. And yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen, I, you know, I love our customers, but eating like a pita with a knife and fork <laughs> is not something that you should ever do. Right. But, or pizza okay, also. You know, yeah. And then in, in terms of like methods, there's quite a lot of like, Heating oils and Mm -hmm, getting mm -hmm. spices into that. and I I like there's this part where you say to treat your kitchen as a laboratory a bit, which I think your science background is probably coming into play there. But talk me through that. How would you treat your kitchen like a laboratory?
3: One of the things when you walk into a kitchen, walk in knowing that it's okay to fail. Yeah. I think a lot of people walk in, and I used to do this too, but when I started cooking, I wanted everything to work the first time. And it's okay if it doesn't work. Because when you fail, that's what makes you remember... And you learn how to deal with the situation. You become more confident and you won't make that mistake again. Um, So that's the thing we do in science too. We walk in knowing that the experiment might not work, but it'll take us to the next step. And I think that's something to keep in mind. Another thing is look at your ingredients as, okay, today I'm going to use this and maybe I'll treat it this way. So it's going to taste different. So if you toast a spice, it tastes different. You don't toast it, it tastes different. Fry it, it'll taste different. And so explore those options and keep an open mind. If it doesn't work, it's fine. Don't do it again. And just build on that. Start small, and then keep adding, adding. Because even recipes, one of the things I notice with recipes, the way they're written, in science, you write recipes, uh, your instructions the same way. Yeah. You make a buffer. It's called a recipe, and we write it the same way.
2: That's interesting. I never thought about it like that. Never, ever done science. Maybe I can change career. Well, you Uh, are kind of in a way (laughs) in science. Well, in a a very (laughs) different way. You... Meet a partner and you got married yeah. to Michael. And then his family are quite different,
3: they're very different. Yeah, they yeah. are from the south. Yeah, uh, they live on the border of Virginia, North Carolina. Um, so their food is very southern. They do like fried chicken, which is why there's a fried popcorn chicken, which Just you guys cooked today. Delicious, yeah. like it, so
2: nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, they like but with a lot, a lot of your touch to correct. it, correct? Like yeah. it's definitely not what I would call an correct.
3: American fried, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken. yeah. Um, you know, they like, uh, let's see, they like pies. I didn't put any pies in the book.
2: Well, you have one hand pie, don't you? Like the... Yeah, the, yeah, the turkey. The, yeah, okay. yeah. So I was thinking more sweet, different, but yeah. yeah. Um, ah, those, yes, yeah, those kind of pies. Here, pies are like very savory in England.
3: That's true, Yeah.
2: very A sweet pie is somehow an American thing. And here, when you say pie, it's always savory.
3: Yeah, food food's very Southern. They do a lot of fruit pies. Yeah. Um, a lot of cobblers. Do you guys get cobblers at? I...
2: No, but cobblers are delicious. Okay. Yeah. It's not uh, something. so my
3: mother-in-law makes a lot of cobblers. That's a easy dessert like yeah. uh, biscuits.
2: Which is delicious. Again, Which something is like a you scone, don't. Right? Yeah, but There's also like a you confidence. don't get here. So like biscuits and cobblers, you get crumbles and scones here. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um are
2: kind of the same, but not
3: not really the yeah. same. Yeah. So Michael had introduced us via email before, and so we chatted a little. There's bit. a lot
2: happening in email in <laughs> York. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um and he did that because he kind of wanted us to get So, there would be no awkwardness when because we were going for a couple of days, and that's a lot to stay in someone's house for the first time.
2: Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? So,
3: he was smart. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's going to be really happy I said that. (laughs) No,
0: it's (laughs) very clever.
2: It's a smart thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Introduce someone to your
3: food. So, we were really all like friends already, kind of. And so, she said, Of course, you're going to cook, right, when you come. So, I said, Yeah. So, I had known based on my husband's diet, my boyfriend's diet at the time, that. Meat and potatoes are his thing. And his family (laughs) loves meat and potatoes. And they grow their own, uh, well, they raise their own cows, their own sheep, and they have a farm. And so I said, okay, that's what I need to do. So I did steak one night with my own seasonings. And then I said, I'm going to cook biryani, which you're you're probably familiar with. It's rice, layered rice with chicken and fried potatoes that are all seasoned. So all their favorite things that I, in a one pot dish. Um, So did
2: you have to take spices with you? Did you go? I did, because I didn't know what
3: would, would be available out there. And I took even rice. I took basmati rice because I wasn't really? sure if they'd get it.
2: <laughs> but that's nice. I like that. And I like that it, that runs through the book, this kind of few touches of food that you kind of wouldn't yeah. expect from you. In the book, you write that, that uh, your mum had hotel management experience and your father was a photographer. And both of them wanted you to, to be more in life and you wanted to be more in life and mm-hmm. then kind of in a way you've Just done a full circle <laughs> <fall>. <laughs> you've done this full circle with ending up cooking yeah. food and you take all your own f- photographs yeah. of the food so how how did well first of all how do you find a way back to your parents in a way i know that's a strange thing but that is what's happened <laughs> it isn't is it, it
3: is yeah neither of my parents are physicians but they wanted me to be a physician yeah um, I don't know why.
2: Well, um, all, yeah. Yeah.
3: all good parents want that. <laughs> <laughs> Indian parents more so. My parents are so...
2: one. My sister's a doctor.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah, my parents didn't have luck with both their kids. <laughs> so I um, thought I would end up in medicine in some sort, and I kind of did. I did medical research for the longest time. But I didn't learn photography, and I didn't even own a camera when I lived in India. My dad would not let us touch his cameras because really? they were so expensive. And, so, and I resented the camera quite a bit because the equipment would take up space in the house. Yeah. And every time you'd bump into it, an needed So I hated it. Uh, it was only until I started the blog that I was forced to learn photography because a blog is so visual. You're essentially eating food with your eyes.
2: Yeah. And the photography in the book is amazing. Thank you. It's really beautiful and different, which is really Thank you. nice. Yeah. You know, that's quite hard to, to do, I think, now.
3: Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to do things my way. Because, I mean, it's very obvious that I like to do things my way, <laughs> from the cooking to writing. Um, and I feel like for t- these days, uh, the visual component is so important. I wanted to do something that kind of s- how m- my mind thinks about when I see food. So whenever I think about food, I always think in terms of the math comes out, where I think of geometry. So you'll see a lot of circles and yep. in the arrangements. But I also always think about the process of food and the ingredients When I shoot, I always think about a ballerina on stage dancing and the focus is only on her. And so the same things with my food photography, the lighting, it's low lit. Everything's always focused on the process or the dish and everything else is noise falling to the background.
2: Images of you prepping as someone else taking the pictures. Because I think one of the unique things is, is that, you know. Uh, this is—I don't know if people don't know if they're listening because this is a podcast—but your hands are brown, and that's lovely because that doesn't happen very often, you know. Yeah. So, so how do you do that?
3: Um, a lot of practice, trial and error over yeah. several years. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I wanted to. I left my Korean science to be a cook. I worked as a pastry cook for the longest time, and one of the things I said to myself: Well, I really like books and. Um, even um, like newspaper articles where there are instructional photos because it makes it so easy to understand versus yeah. a set of words. And I said that might be the best way to do instructional things that are more involved mm-hmm. and intricate. It makes it easier to explain. So let me do it in my own way. And then the other thing was having worked in a kitchen, I realized a lot of people that were in the kitchen uh, were so different. And I'd never seen that represented in magazines or newspapers. It was yeah. very like very you know, white, white, isn't it? And I said, um, this might be my way of giving them a voice and showing that there is a different presence. The people that make your food actually might not look like you. And we need to appreciate that. And so that was my way of doing it. And I wanted to also, like I said, like just represent it um, stylistically in my own, the way I think about food in my mind. Try to bring it an image.
2: Well, it it comes across beautifully, I think. Thank you. What does the future hold for you?
3: What does the future hold for me? I don't know. I, is it
2: like an ideal world situation or are you just going to I'm let... just so
3: happy right now with the book. Obviously like this is my first book so I'm so happy with the way people have been so warm and receptive to the book. All over I mean I'm here in London, yeah. right? And everyone's been so amazing. Um, so I'm really happy about that. Hopefully, we'll see what happens down the line. I don't I honestly don't know.
2: That's good. Not yeah. to have a plan sometimes is the best plan. Yeah, we'll just
3: go with the flow and see what happens. Yeah,
2: but no restaurants or something like that. So this is not a... I don't
3: think restaurants are on my list right now. Okay. Yeah.
2: Thanks so much. It's been thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to cook your food and eat oh, it for lunch. Oh, thank you for doing today. that. It was wonderful. Yeah, I didn't eat enough though. I need to go and have some lunch now because I was too busy <laughs> serving it to the other people. Oh, my gosh, feel so comfortable. Thanks so much for listening to our latest episode. If you'd like to join one of the next talks, please follow us on social media at Honey & Co or go on our website, honeyandco.co.uk. We would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at iTunes, only five stars, please. With a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing and the music is by the lovely Alice Russell. Thanks for listening.
3: Bye, Felicias.
2: Every time.